Hi, and welcome to LeechFest, a medical history podcast where we don't read listener comments since we are unresponsive to external stimuli. Because today, we're talking about comas. What is a coma? What causes them? Are they dangerous? And oh my god, what year is it? (laughs) Before we disable our consciousness and induce this episode, how have you been? I gotta say a lot of things have happened since the last time we recorded. I started a new course. Uh, so I'm working in a new lab. Mm-hmm. It's all very exciting. We're building a brain-blood barrier uh, using microfluidics. <laughs> it's something kind of similar but kind of different to what I used to do. So it's cool to be able to like apply old knowledge but also expand. Like in a new way? Yeah, in yeah. a new way, like expand what I know. So that's cool. Uh, we went horseback riding. We went shooting. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Which has been very, very nice. Mm-hmm. Um, we went to an amusement park for Halloween. Yeah. Which is always fun. Yeah. We've had a fun month. Yeah. Um, Halloween. October is always a fun month. It's the best month. Yeah. Because sure. it's wet, it's dark. It's wet, well, it's, it's dark. It's full of pumpkins and spooky ghouls. I feel like October is like on the verge. It's like right before it gets depressing. So you still <laughs> yeah. you still got like a, a little bit of life left in you. And then November gets like yeah, dark what, and yeah. cold and rainy and gloomy. But October's fun. October's always fun. Yeah. It's like, the, it's like the one month you can actually enjoy the fall. Mm-hmm, exactly. How have you been? I've been good. I'm doing the same things that you have. I've been working my ass off mm. for to, to manage all the various things that I do with my life right now. Because <laughs> I do YouTube, this podcast, now government, and it's, it's a lot of stress. Mm-hmm. And I'm also in the process of like hiring people to help me do all of those things mm-hmm. instead of the podcast. Mm. So it's like... That shit takes time and is more work, mm-hmm. even though eventually it's going to be easier. Yeah, but it's like an investment, you know? You you, yeah. you do this now and then later it's hopefully going to be easier. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's, that's what I tell myself when I uh, get, the, the, get the stress shakes just one and more start week. crying. Just one more week. One more week. I'm just yeah. going to finish today. I'm just going to finish the work today. Um, it's also like new. I don't think you've really hired people before, no, right? So it um, must be very interesting. Yeah, but it's weird because like there's a lot of legal stuff, and I'm mm. I'm very afraid of, like technically being a boss and like mm-hmm. having to do things according to the rules, mm-hmm. <laughs> so that I don't like accidentally commit tax fraud. Mm-hmm. Um, so Maybe you fun. should get like a like an advisor, like a fina- like a financial it's more, advisor. More money, mm. more money, more time, more more work to invest. More money, more problems. <laughs> exactly. But I've been doing that, and I've also I also went to the amusement park because we went together. Yeah, we went together. And we also went like. I think you mentioned the gun range really mm-hmm. quickly, but we went to a gun range and shot the guns, mm-hmm. which is very interesting, which both is fun and cool, but also we should do an episode sometime about like gun violence. <laughs> gun violence? Yeah. And just like how bad they are. I guess. Do you think there's going to be a lot of like medical oh, yeah. elements to that? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There's tons. The CDs- you get shot. It hurts. <laughs> that will be my part. <laughs> it hurt. <laughs> it hurt. <laughs> The first bullets were invented in ancient Greece. Aristotle. Aristotle once said, "Don't, don't, don't put aim a, a gun. cap in your buddy's ass." <laughs> Socrates once said, "Always point the barrel of your gun at the target. And make sure to keep the finger off the trigger." Never point a gun at a person, even when it's not loaded. <laughs> Galen said that. Galen said that. It's true. He was the first one to say that. Yeah. Um, okay, before we get into the episode, as always, we have a very special patron to thank, and their name is Kremer Pert. Kremer Pat. 
Kremer Pert. There's an A in there, the Swedish letter A. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for those of you who aren't Swedish, uh, and you, if you, in case you didn't know this, we have three more letters than Americans do. Uh, so it's Kremer Pert. My accent in Swedish is irredeemable. So I mean, especially with those three letters, because yeah. like so no gonna... one knows how to interpret that. No, a lot of people do. I just I I, I don't I don't I don't it's, try anymore. This fucked up elf language. Kramerpert. Thank you, Kramerpert, uh, for uh, giving us money to support the podcast mm-hmm. uh, and making sure that we can host this podcast and keep making it for you, lovely listeners. It is very appreciated. But we also want to thank everybody else who yes. listens and shares. That is also super important. Yes. But without further ado, let's get into the episode. So we're going to do a little medical intro to comas. Um, you're going to talk about history, and then I'm going to talk about the future of comas. And then yeah. we're going to talk about um, the ethics of comas, because there's a lot of ethics involved. Yeah. Um, it's it's what we call here the the standard format. <laughs> if you've listened to the podcast before, this is what we this do, is every, what we time. do every time. I mean, listen, it works. It works. I don't know. Sometimes I wonder, like, is it too is it too boring? Like, did, 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 are we at a point where like we're doing the comfortable thing every time, and it's like a boring format to listeners? I let us know. <laughs> I, let us know. I also think that it's a benefit to stay in our lanes because, like, if you want me to talk about like I don't know, like microfluidic organoids, like I, I'm going to be like. <laughs> A scientist found a thing <laughs> and I did un- an experiment. I don't understand. I don't words understand mean. the studies that I'm doing. Yeah. yeah no, so I like, think I we should definitely stay in our lanes, but maybe like you should start with the history and I'll do med- like maybe. medical intro after. Maybe. Like, you know, change it up a little bit. Um, I don't know. I but I It's am, our show, it's not yours. Uh, yeah, but I wanna know like if it's getting boring. But for for now we're doing the standard format. So I'll start by giving an intro to comas what it is what it isn't what causes it diagnosis treatment mm-hmm. uh, things like that so a coma is defined as a state of non-responsiveness where the patient does not respond to pain or verbal stimuli um, they have irregular breathing and an impacted brainstem and that usually manifests itself by pupils not responding to light um, and the reason i said like what it is and what it isn't is that coma like comas are not the only disorder of consciousness mm-hmm. that exists. Like, you know, when we think about a person like laying in a bed, like unresponsive, we think yeah. about comas, but there's a lot of other states that are yeah. similar. And this um, actually like, makes diagnosis... Like near unconsciousness disorders. Exactly. Stuff like exactly. That, you know? um, and this makes diagnosis kind of complicated. And I'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about causes. Comas can be induced by damage to either or both the cerebral cortex or the reticular activating system, otherwise called the RAS. The cerebral cortex is the outer layer of neuronal tissue in the brain. Um, so that's what like what you see. Like if you cut a brain in half, you're going to see a bunch of parts inside the brain. Um, but the cerebral cortex is like the outer shell and the reticular activating system is a more primordial part of the brain and that is um which is responsible for arousal in consciousness Mm. so you can kind of understand why damage to that part of the brain might result in comas interesting um what the old psychologists would call libido (laughs) well it's not libido but like consciousness like being awake the state of being old psychologists would sometimes refer to just the any, any sort of energy that you have, including consciousness, is libido. 
Oh. Not just sexual arousal. Oh. Like any type of sort of like... When, when your brain does anything. Like zest for libido. life. Zest for life. Libido yeah. for life. Yeah. <laughs> Horny for life. <laughs> Horny for being awake. Um, as far as the actual causes, comas can be brought about by very many factors. One of which can be like neurogenic, meaning injury to the brain or the head, like the skull. But also metabolic and toxic factors. And we usually, usually we, we think of comas... Um, being caused by like a hit to the brain, like yeah. you know, a person gets into an accident and then they go into a coma. Yeah. They but suffer actually, like a brain injury. Yeah, then, exactly, yeah, and that's definitely and that's definitely a part of it. But it's not the only reason, which is really interesting. Yeah. So yeah, so brain injuries from falls, car accidents, and violence can cause brain injuries. For example, like lesions of the skull or of brain matter, hematomas, which is bleeding in or around the brain. Yeah, or not, not good. N- not good. <laughs> or dysregulations in cerebral blood flow and pressure within the skull. See, that's what you don't want to happen. Yeah. We, I feel like our podcast is becoming more and more akin to, well, there's your problem podcast. But oh, yeah. instead of uh, engineering disasters, it's, it's, it's like medical, body ing- medical disasters. Medical disasters, yeah. Um, so all of these things obviously can damage the brain tissue and depending on where the injury is located, it can compromise certain brain functions. Uh, for example, a very common location for brain injury is the or- orbitofrontal cortex, which is located immediately above the orbit. Your eyes. Your eyeballs. <laughs> your eyeballs. Um, <laughs> the orbits. <laughs> it's your eyeballs. Okay. Um, is that the medical way to say it? Your eyeballs? Yeah, it's... if you Ye, open- ye all the eyeballs. Mm-hmm. Ye um, all the orbits. Yes. And... That is the lower frontal cortex. And apparently one of the reasons that area is so prone to injury is because of the bony protrusions on the interior skull ridge above the eyes. I was really curious to see why this like, means that, that that area is more prone to injuries mm-hmm. and I didn't really find anything, but apparently it is. Interesting. This kind of damage usually leads to impaired social behavior, hypersexuality, impulsivity, and addictive behavior. And interestingly, is also implicated in a bunch of psychiatric disorders like borderline personality disorder, schizophrenia, major depressive disorder, bipolar disorders, OCD, and PTSD. Anyway, this is all very interesting and I wanted to mention it, but it's not directly related to comas. I just got a little bit carried away. Um, But let let me get back to the comas. Yeah. Basically, what I meant to say with the section is that brain injury can cause the coma. Yeah. Kind of similar, but kind of different to brain injuries. Comas can also be caused by ischemic stroke, hemorrhage, inflammatory lesions, or tumors, which can either destroy, damage, or compress the brain. And specifically, um, ARAS structures, which you remember from earlier. Sure. <laughs> I like how you assumed that. Well, it's how the, smart I am. The libido center. We had a whole oh, yes, thing the libido, about it. The libido part. Yes. You, you know now the I libido understand. center. I know the libido center. Um, comas can also be caused by metabolic factors, often due to organ failure, usually the liver, the kidneys, the lungs, the heart, or the adrenal gland. It can be caused by electrolyte imbalances on either side of the spectrum, so too much or too little of a specific electrolyte like sodium, magnesium, or phosphate, as well as too much or too little glucose. But even inborn metabolic uh, disorders can cause it, which is also really interesting. Like I've never thought of comas being being caused by like diabetes. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's it's really um, interesting. I think I think I've heard the name diabetic coma. 
occasionally once or twice. Look at you. Comet can be caused by like all sorts of things. I know. Which is like the thing, like when researching this episode, is like something that really surprised me. I, think, I know, me too. That, like, like you don't hear th- about they're that. They're both so much. extremely common yeah. in terms of like what what can cause them. Yeah. But they're also extremely uncommon mm-hmm. in the sense that like they don't happen super frequently. Mm-hmm. And if they do happen, I, I, like you might mention this, and like, or I'm gonna mention it later too. But like. Like most people, they fall into a coma for like a day or two, mm-hmm. and then they wake up once mm-hmm. the like the balance is like fixed itself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that's not what most people associate with a coma. Like they yeah. associate the ones where you sleep for ten years. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, but it's really interesting, right? Because like a lot of preconceptions that I had about comas have been completely changed by just the fact that oh, you have too much sodium, time to fall into a coma. Mm-hmm. Just like what? Yeah, for sure. Um, and like you said, the metabolic factors are easier to reverse than like brain yeah. injuries so then you know a person can fall into a coma but then um you know they they you get some insu- them they get some yeah. insulin and then they like get out of it like the, the body yeah. stabilizes itself yeah um so then they wake up and go home yeah another factor that can put somebody in a coma is like toxicity like um you know excessive alcohol intake or drug or medication overdose Mm -hmm. um and this is often caused by cardiovascular or pulmonary dysregulation which can interfere with oxygen delivery to the brain so brain doesn't get oxygen shuts down yeah (laughs) like turns off yeah ethanol induced coma can also be caused by the body's inability to produce and release glucose into the bloodstream again brain doesn't get glucose turns off yeah the brain needs like a lot of resources. Yeah, it consumes like what is it like a third of the body? Of the I don't remember the exact like the exact number, but definitely yeah, it consumes yeah. a lot of glucose. Yeah. And like and for for it just sitting there, not doing much of anything. It does. A I lot mean, it does though. do a lot of things, but like we're not like exercising it. Like it's not running around the body. No, it's but, not like, running around, but like. But it's doing a lot of shit. It's always on. It's always just doing something. Yeah, and I mean, even it, it like keeps you awake. You know, yeah. like the 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 fact that you're you're awake walking around, like that's all the brain. Yeah. So keep all the organs going. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's definitely a pretty important organ, I would say. Yeah. Um, lastly, <laughs> big fan of brain. Big fan of brain. Um, this episode is sponsored by uh, Braining. Big brain. Big brain. <laughs> Lastly, comas can be caused by systemic or central nervous system infections. So, like, bacterial meningitis uh, can begin as an infection in the subarachnoid space. <laughs> Sorry, what? The subarachnoid space? Yeah. No. I knew you were going to... It's not called the subarachnoid it space. It is, but it's not what you think it is. It's the space a few layers under the skull bone that is filled with cerebrospinal fluid. So it's like... <laughs> that is filled with spiders. Uh, it's, no. Every person has a small cavity and, filled with within tiny their, spiders in their head. It's actually the spi- it's actually the spiders that keep you alive. <laughs> you take <laughs> away the spiders, you're dead. Every, every person is actually just a collection of spiders that like pilot you from the inside. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Christ, that's where all spiders come from. Did you know that? Yeah, they they leak through the nose and then yeah. run around looking for other that's, brains. That's where to... the misconception is that you eat seven spiders every year because mm-hmm. they leave the mouth and then want to come back in. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, what an episode. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the subarachnoid space is like the space that's a few layers under the skull bone. Yeah. And it's filled with cerebrospinal fluid, which bathes. The, um, the it bathes the brain it brings in nutrients mm-hmm. and takes away waste so it's a really important yeah. element or it's a really important thing for the brain yeah it's the it's the brain gravy kind of like yeah it sits in that exactly so you know if bacteria gets in there it's 
going to affect the brain. Yeah. It multiplies in the space and sheds components of the bacterial cell wall, which, as you maybe remember, alerts the immune system. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the immune system is like, wait, that's not supposed that's to be supposed there. To be Let's there. go and kill it. And then your brain becomes a war zone, which is also not good for the yes, brain. Yes, very good. So an inflammatory response is created, and uh, you know that means cytokine release, chemokines, and those alter the permeability of the blood-brain barrier, ultimately causing cerebral edema, which basically means that your head fills with water. <laughs> um, but specifically, it's the spaces inside the brain because mm. the brain has like because the barrier holes sort of gets it. weaker a little bit. Uh, yeah, and less in water. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's I don't know. Less if, in a fluid. Yeah, it less in fluid. I would say. Yeah. So the brain swells, and mm. that's not a good thing. Uh, because that causes an increase of pressure within the skull, mm-hmm. uh, compression of the brain, and also blood vessel and cellular damage. Mm. It's Which is like coma city. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess it doesn't have to be. I don't know super much about bacterial meningitis, other than mm. it's really, really bad. Um, but it can definitely cause coma. Mm. It's, it's a whole mess. Uh, meningitis is really scary, mm-hmm. so try to not get it. Um, <laughs> if... If one get meningitis, don't. <laughs> then we have encephalitis, which has a pretty similar mechanism. Um, and encephalitis can be caused by a whole bunch of things, including yeah. viruses such as the herpes virus, the rabies virus, the polio virus, and the measles virus. Well, to be fair, if you get rabies, getting your, into a coma is, is like not like the, the least, top of your concern. The least of your problems, yeah. But, you know, you know, interesting to know. Yes. It can also be caused by bacteria like Borrelia, which is the one that causes Lyme disease, mm-hmm. or parasites like Plasmodium, which causes malaria. Um, okay, lastly, comas can also be caused by hypo or hypothermia, which, um, you know, too cold or too hot, um, that causes a decrease in cerebral blood flow and neurotransmitter release, um, respectively. So too too cold decreases cerebral blood flow. Too warm affects neurotransmitters, mm. and this can happen at temperatures above forty two degrees Celsius, which is kind of a scary thought, knowing that temperatures are rising mm-hmm. constantly, and some places have reached like temperatures like yeah. close to that. Yeah, that's why like some people are concerned about like cities like. I think it's like cities like Mumbai, for mm-hmm. example, that like during heat waves, like regularly reach like 45, 50 mm. degrees. And exactly. they're like densely exactly. populated exactly. and they're becoming exactly. literally uninhabitable because yeah. you can't. No, you can't. Like if, like, a, if a whole city is like that temperature, right? Like you can't cool down mm-hmm. from that. Like like most people just can't. Mm. It's, it's not as if like a room is very warm and then you leave the room and then you're good. Or like you go into a cold room. Like if a whole city is that temperature, it becomes uninhabitable yeah. in the long term. I mean, you know, you can and, you uh, can stay inside the house, but like, you know. But like if the air is warm, if the air is over 40, 45 degrees, right? Then you need to find, a, then you need to like cool down a specific area, which is only going to like make the area outside of that contained area even warmer because mm. like you can't do you can't radiate heat outwards it's like over a certain temperature right or a certain type of air humidity sweating doesn't reduce your body temperature anymore at, at which point it's like danger city because yeah. <laughs> like then then damage just piles up like climate change yeah, but, can affect a bunch of uh, like they yeah. can affect infrastructure so yeah, the but fact no, that not everyone has no a, for sure yeah. for sure it's and also, also like a lot of air conditioners don't work when they when the yeah. heat is too that's warm that's the other thing when the heat is too warm that's the other <laughs> thing that i was gonna say that like infrastructure is also yeah. affected and like being in a city that is as hot as hell um yeah. literal hell 
it would be kind of scary to yeah. be like, I'm gonna stay in this room, and if the like if the I go power, outside and the power goes no, out, but also I'll if die. the power goes out because it might be affected by infrastructure, yeah. I will literally like go into my a neurons are going to, to stop like, working, get fried. <laughs> that's a yeah. little scary, and it's a problem that's, like, that's getting worse by like urban heat islands as well, because mm. cities are just generally warmer than rural areas, even yeah. if the temperature, even if the weather is exactly the mm-hmm. same. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Well, it's, cities are wrong, actually. They're bad. <laughs> this is a bit of a geographic uh, sideline that I that I took us on, and I'm sorry about that. But mm, no, I took us on in the climate change um, direction. Yeah, well, but just something to think about. Yeah. Okay, so earlier I mentioned that there's like similar states or like mm-hmm. disorders of consciousness. Like it's it's kind of an umbrella term mm-hmm. for for uh, like comas, but also like other yeah. states. I'll get onto I'll get to how we got there actually. Yeah, a coma usually lasts a few weeks, um, during which the patient typically starts to gradually wake up and regain consciousness. But what might happen is they might transition into a vegetative state or a minimally conscious state. A vegetative state means that the person is awake but doesn't show like awareness of mm-hmm. themselves or the environment. So they might open their eyes occasionally, but they lack cognitive function. Yeah. Um, the longer the person is in a vegetative state, the more unlikely it is that they will recover cognitive function, at which point the question of, like, should we end life support yeah. starts, like, like it arises. Yeah. I was actually shocked at how little time needs to pass before they start talking about the possibility of ending life support. Oh, yeah. Um, it's quick. In the U.S., is it like, do you know how much it needs to pass? Because I was gonna ask you, like, no, to take a guess. From 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 what I read around some some of the like treatment studies that I read before regarding like ethics, mm-hmm. um, which is gonna be like the last segment of this podcast, they were mostly talking about like twelve months. Mm-hmm. That like a, after a full year, it's like the the reliability of it being like a person waking up becomes pretty small. Yeah. So I would I would guess like a year. So I've I've also read up on this. Twenty five and... twenty five minutes. <laughs> Um, and I think 12 months is like the UK. Um, okay. In the context of the United States, it's four weeks. What? <laughs> no. Yeah. Holy sh... No. America. Once again, American healthcare is like the dog, most dog shit that exists. That's, I, that's nothing. Yeah. I, there's, there's tons of people who it's wake not, up after like five or six. Yeah. So they don't... Um, it's not like, you know, four weeks pass and they're like, <laughs> you know, let's plug, plug yeah. them out. But it's like at that's that point. At that point, they're like, we might need to start like thinking about this. We might need to start like looking very specifically at signs of this person waking up. Because yeah. like you know, like they started looking at them in that context, yeah. in the context of like, should we end? That's so much less time than I thought it would be. Yeah, I was. I was also really shocked about it. But like I said, this is very dependent on the country and there's a lot of gray areas. So this is like an ongoing discussion. Yeah. And I think it like depends on the hospital. Like it's, it's, it's very, like the state probably has like individual rules exactly. and like the wishes of the family and like yeah. how the outlook is for the patient. Like yeah, I, I bet yeah. there's just so many issues. For sure. And there's also like a bunch of different medical definitions for what constitutes a state that from, from which the patient mm-hmm. won't wake up. Anyway. There are other types of disorders of the consciousness that are different from comas, and those include minimally conscious state, brain death, and locked-in syndrome, and they all come with their own set of challenges and ethical considerations. Now let's talk about evaluation and treatment, and that is a little bit relevant for these, like, different types, because you kind of, like, evaluate and treat them differently, obviously, and one of the challenges 
um, in this like field is distinguishing between yeah. different ones because they all present like pretty similarly. Yeah. And like I'm going to talk later, there's actually very limited tools for distinguishing between yeah. different states. And that's something that this field needs to work on and expand on. Mm -hmm. So the first thing in any acute medical situation, and I would say that like a coma is an acute medical yeah. situation, both medical professionals, but also lay people need to assess the patient's airways, breathing, and circulation. This is called the basic ABCs, as these factors are essential for survival. Imaging tools are also used, like CT scans, MRIs, and EEGs, in order to try to understand the cause of the coma, whether it's like an injury, a brain hemorrhage, um, or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And also assess brain functioning. Like, yeah, because like if you're brain dead, then that's a different thing from being in a coma. Uh, yeah, or if you're in a minimally conscious mm. state, like maybe the brain like responds, but you're just not able to translate that mm -hmm. into motor function. Yeah. So anyway, there, you know, you have to, there's like differences that yeah. you are usually like able to see, but not always. Yeah. Yeah, so like I said, the next step is understanding where whether this is a coma or a similar state, then the severity of the coma is determined using the Glasgow Coma Scale, which consists of a bunch of tests to see the patient's response. The tests include eye response, motor response, response to stimuli like pain and light, and also respiration, and are rated on a scale. For example, a physician might ask the patient to open their eyes and rate the response from 1 to 4, depending on whether the patient opens their eyes spontaneously to verbal command, opens them as a response to pain, or doesn't open them at all. Mm. The same goes for verbal response. A score of 1 is given if the patient doesn't respond, and a score of 5 is given if they respond appropriately, and anything in between is given if the patient responds, but it's like slurred or yeah. it doesn't make sense. Um, like you ask them their name and they say Monday. <laughs> mm. Most people. I feel like Mon Monday is probably like a three, right? Because like you're still saying a word, exactly. But you're not but saying the right it's, one. Exactly. So it's like, it's okay, you understand something's happening, but then you can be like Monday, and then it's like that's probably like a one or a two because mm -hmm. like at that point it's, it's like, like two. you're making a response, but it's, but it's slurred. It's, you're not saying anything. You're, yeah. Interesting. Mm. Most people in a coma will have a score of eight or less, and the score is used to determine the severity of the situation. So a low score may indicate severe brain damage and could indicate that the person is less, is less likely to recover. Mm. Brain tests are also performed to check if drugs are involved or whether there is an electrolyte imbalance. And I guess blood tests can also be taken to see if there's a bacterial infection yeah. or something like that. Yeah. As far as treatment goes, it really depends on the severity and the cause of the coma. So it's very like patient-specific. Patients are usually placed in the intensive care unit immediately um, as their respiration and circulation can be impacted. So you want to you want to monitor them, you want to probably like ventilate them, you need to give them IV fluids, you know. So it's a few things that are necessary to be done for the patient's like sur sur immediate survival, because yeah. usually their body can't do it yeah. on their own. After the patient is stabilized, they can be moved to a less intensive care unit where they are under observation. <laughs> less intensive care unit? Yeah. <laughs> the, LI, the LICU. Mm -hmm. Is that really what it's called? Or is, it, or is that just like a, a generator for something that's not the ICU? I'm not sure what it, what, if, if there is an acronym, to be honest. I think, I think it's just like a general term. Okay. Um, I just find that really funny. <laughs> First they put in the intensive care unit, then it's a less intensive less care unit. Less intensive. Mm -hmm. No, anyway, they they are put under observation, but it's not as intense. Mm. 
Um, so something that they do in that kind of place is they um, they move the patient every two to three hours uh, to make sure that they don't develop bed sores, you know, from being static for too long. Mm-hmm. Um, also, coma pa- patients don't like they can't eat on their own, so they so they have um, a feeding tube. Mm-hmm. They also, but but the thing is, like they also don't have a gag reflex. A lot of like natural reflexes or like automatic responses are like disabled disabled yeah. because the brain is damaged which i think is also like really fucked up so they get um they get a feeding tube but because they don't have a gag reflex it means that it has to go all the way down yeah but also stomach. but also they can choke on the food <laughs> like the food can go oh. down the wrong pipe and they're not able to like cough yeah. the they're, they're not able to do anything about it so the food can actually get stuck in the trachea which is like the lower respiratory system yeah. and can cause infection like in the lungs, um, which can lead to aspiration n- pneumonia. Oh, damn. Um, and a lot of coma patients, um, like death, yeah. is actually caused by, by this thing. So it's not even that they don't wake up. It's just like they choke yeah. um, on food from Shit. a feeding tube. So that's something that they always like look out for. Yeah. Also, coma patients are sometimes affected by seizures. And need to be restrained to make sure that they don't like accidentally pull in tubes or like accidentally get their dressings off yeah. or fall out of bed. So usually the beds are also like they have like bars installed like yeah. on both sides so they don't like accidentally roll out of yeah. bed. Then when it comes to prognosis, it really depends on what caused the coma, how severe it is, and the extent of neurological damage, as well as how long the patient has been in a coma. And this like duration of time apparently is like one of the major prognosis factors. Because mm. like the longer they are in a coma, they're le- the less likely they are to recover. Um, some patients come out of the coma, some transition to a vegetative state, and others die. Um, and this is probably because of oxygen deficiency in the brain and brain atrophy. But to be honest, I had a little bit of trouble finding like why exactly duration of time like causes uh, the patient to be like less likely to to wake up. Mm-hmm. Also, coming out of the coma is difficult too. It's not really like in the movies where the person like suddenly opens their eyes and is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, after waking up from a coma, the person usually enters a state called post-traumatic amnesia where like they're conscious they're awake but they're confused and they often like act in a in a weird like uncharacteristic way yeah um i will say though something that i discovered in the research of this also like that that what, what you're describing is like the default right mm-hmm. but there have been cases where people just like wake up after after like 14 years or something but they just wake up one day and are fine mm-hmm. and they're just nor- like like they woke up from a from a from going to bed it's very, very rare. Yeah, it's I think exceptionally more, rare. Exactly. But I, I just think it's so interesting that's like, because when, when you think about it, it's like, I mean, obviously it wouldn't be so easy. And then it's like, but sometimes it is. The brain is so fucking complicated and weird that mm-hmm. sometimes it is. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry. I just, wanted, <laughs> okay. I just wanted to say that. No, I mean, I have yeah. some examples coming later yeah, about yeah. that too. But anyway, this is kind of what generally happens. Yeah. Often people have trouble with short term memory. So they don't know what happened a few hours or even like minutes ago. But what's interesting is like they do remember people like yeah. in their life. Like long term memory is still yeah. like there. They but, don't have like retrograde amnesia. Yeah, yeah. But they but they have trouble remembering what happened like an hour ago. Mm. They can also display unusual behavior like aggression, swearing, violence, and disinhibition. Though sometimes they can be very loving and caring. So very yeah, very strange yeah. behavior often. 
I get the feeling like brain chemistry would be like hell a whack after waking mm-hmm. up from a coma. For so sure. That's probably, that, that's probably why. Also, what usually happens is that the patient wakes up very gradually. So maybe a few minutes on the first day and then a bit more um, every, like gradually, like every day yeah. after that. So again, you don't just like open your eyes and go home. It's like a whole process. Because yeah. um, it, can, it can take years to recover, to like properly wake up. I, I don't know how long cases. it takes. I think yeah, I think it just depends on like how severe the damage is. Yeah. It depends on the person too. But anyway, it's a process. Um, it's also common that they experience a lot of confusion at first and also have trouble speaking for a while, which is called dysarthria. And this is usually caused by damage in the parts of the brain responsible for the head and neck muscles, making it impossible for the patient to produce any sound. So that's interesting that it's only like the motor component yeah. of speech that is like disabled or yeah. like affected. So the person might want to speak, like they hear what you're saying, they want to like respond, they think like, yeah. you know, the thoughts in their brain, but the, they're not able to the like articulate it. just can't do it. Um, that's so interesting. And I think like, I can't imagine how frustrating it is. <laughs> like to want to speak but not be able yeah. to. In any case, sometimes deep brain stimulation can be used to improve communication and complex movements in coma patients, but some people never progress past basic responses, which is also another thing. Like sometimes being in a coma affects you like for life. Yeah. Um, which I guess makes sense because like if your brain atrophies while yeah, you're like, in the coma, like you can't rebuild yeah. the brain from nothing. It's a lot of a lot of disability act- activism regarding comas. D- talk a lot about that because a lot of people sort of expect full recovery, and a lot of doctors sort of also don't f- sometimes don't like if it's not a full recovery, they see them as like still being like very very sick, even though like the, the, that full recovery is oftentimes impossible for like a lot of people, even mm-hmm. though you can recover almost all the way to the to mm-hmm. where you were before the coma, mm-hmm. but not quite. Mm. Um, so that's something that I'm going to talk about later that is an issue with coma, like prognosis and treatment, because everybody is like inherently different. So there's, it, it's kind of hard to like find a standard of what is expected while also accounting for the fact that like some people are like probably like unable yeah. to reach that standard. So then it's hard to know, like, does this person need more like therapy, need more treatment, yeah. need like a longer stay in the hospital? Or is this just like... Is this just what we get? Yeah, yeah, like what the result will be. Yeah. I guess there's a problem of like brains being so as complicated as they are, right? Mm. Because like... But I I think that's maybe also the case for a lot of other issues, Mm. you know? This is something that I guess is a little bit um, connected to this new idea of personalized medicine, where a person is treated... um, And the prognosis is also very dependent on the person specifically. Yeah. Um, but of course that's hard to implement on a large scale. Yeah. It's very expensive. So, you know, it's, it has its own issues. Yeah. Um, a few words on induced states before I end my section. Oh, um, like so, a medically induced coma. Mm-hmm, that? Oh. So that's, that's something that I wanted to mention that sometimes, like, of course, most coma, comas are accidents, but sometimes people want to induce a coma so this applies mostly to people with refractory epilepsy and it's meant to reduce seizures to prevent seizure induced brain damage and usually this is done through a continuous administration of anesthetics like barbiturates or sedatives so it has been determined that there's a relationship between seizures and intracranial pressure and the general mechanism of the type of therapy is that it reduces metabolism of brain 
tissues, which leads to reduced blood flow and reduced intracranial blood pressure. So you kind of like shut down the brain for a while and, you know, less blood goes to the brain and then the pressure goes down mm-hmm. and it kind of, it doesn't cure people of epilepsy, but it reduces mm. like the symptoms. So um, you're literally turning it off and on again. Yeah. <laughs> like kind of. Kind of. IT support and medical technology are hand in hand once again. Yeah. But I will say that's so interesting. Yeah. But um, there is some controversy surrounding the use of barbiturates to control like this intracranial hypertension as it doesn't necessarily prevent brain damage and also it's not a sustained effect so you you, you know you I guess you it's have like to do it term, yeah. continuously but it's it's not like a like a long term yeah. solution for people um, like but it's I, not permanent yeah. yeah but I just wanted to mention it because I think it's pretty interesting yeah it is okay so that was my section let's hear about the history of commas history So that has been what comas are and what they aren't. Uh, and now I'm going to talk a little bit about the history of comas, uh, like why they're called comas, uh, why like labeling them is a bit weird, and sort of how we reached the modern day of, of comas. Um, it involves some Dutch people, which is always fun, but also of course the ancient Greeks. <laughs> so we're gonna have we're gonna have we're gonna have that. So the medical idea of a coma is kind of fucked up when you think about it because it's a very specific state of being that requires you to suffer pretty severe harm but not die in like in most cases um the brain needs to suffer like significant damage of some level or another but you 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 can't die from it because then you just die you're not going to be in a coma if you're dead um despite this comas were pretty well known to people of the ancient world uh, being described in ancient Greek texts most familiarly because that's where the word coma comes from. It's based from ancient Greek meaning deep sleep. But people in ancient Mesopotamia and ancient China also knew of conditions that resulted in long periods of unconsciousness, but most didn't classify them the same way that the Greeks did. And the reason for this is because a common cause of comas in the ancient world were strokes. That is where it most often comes up, especially in the Greek texts. People suffer a stroke or some sort of like brain hemorrhage. And then they are unconscious for a period of time. Uh, And then sometimes they wake up, sometimes they die. But because a lot of people would die after like prolonged periods of unconsciousness, a lot of people wouldn't, or a lot of civilizations wouldn't categorize the unconsciousness as a separate medical condition. They would just classify that as like the latter part of a stroke. Um, So So they just thought it was like part of it. (laughs) Yeah, there's like, it, like you, you get a stroke. stroke. Yeah, you, you get a stroke, you get unconscious, and then you wake up or die. <laughs> like it, the, the unconsciousness bit isn't necessarily seen as like its own medical condition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and to be fair, the ancient Greeks didn't do this either. Technically, they just labeled the specific parts mm. of a stroke. So they had like the the the, the stroke itself, the stroke then, itself, and then the unconscious part, and the unconscious mm. part then in a coma. But they still saw it as sort of like a natural continuation of a stroke. Mm-hmm. But you could also fall into a coma from suffering severe fevers or snake bites, according to these ancient texts. And in all of these cases, the unconsciousness part was almost always seen as connected to the initial cause of injury rather than its own thing, like I mentioned. Hmm. I would think that like violence would also be a common cause. They do be beating <laughs> each other in ancient Greece. That's true, but I think the goal there is to kill people. 
Yeah. Okay. Like, like, but sometimes they get away, you know. There, there, there's a very narrow sliver of damage where you hit someone so hard that they fall to the ground unconsciously, and then, and then they get them. up eventually and yeah. like, like, or like they, they yeah, stay alive. Yeah. That, like in ancient Greece, like if if you get a minor cut on your head, you're dead. But also, if like the opponent hits you hard enough for you to fall on the ground, yeah. then the opponent kills you. Like they're yes. not gonna give you the chance to like get to like get, go to the yeah. hospital. <laughs> that's, that's what I mean. Like yeah, that, that's fair. Like it's not. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Oh, I got them to the ground. Oh no, they. I better get. I better medical. make sure that they're okay. <laughs> yeah, the ancient Greeks didn't have too much consideration about like Geneva conventions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They were like, "What's what's Geneva?" Mm-hmm. They know what conventions are, but Geneva, they know about that. <laughs> yes, rights, of course. Th- that's what white men have back in Athens. <laughs> And one of the reasons why this was sort of like the mainstream view of comas back in the day is because like today we associate comas with someone who is alive, but just unconscious and, but it has a pretty good chance of like continuing to live because there are, well, after the initial injury is what I mean. Like there, like today we have a lot of, there's a lot of medical conditions, right? That can hurt you pretty significantly, but we have a lot of medical technology that can intervene and make sure that you don't outright die. And that means that the the opportunity for a person to like fall into a coma is a lot greater than it used to be, um, and that's why we see it as like its own medical uh, medical thing. However, uh, comas were part of the Greek Hippocratic Corpus, which was a collection of medical texts managed by Hippocrates himself, uh, Hi- Hippocrates of oath fame. Doctors will know of of that oath, and it also eventually became part of the Roman doctor Galen's work as well. Uh, who we should probably like make a specific episode about because he keeps coming up. Big name, uh, big in name, medical history. big name in medical history. Galen is involved in freaking everything. His work is like Wikipedia of, of of the time, honestly. But however, after Galen mentions comas, comas are pretty much like forgotten about. Like comas are not very d- well discussed in like med- in medieval texts or in Renaissance texts. There are references to like the Greek uh, like Hippocratic corpus. But that's basically it. Like, no one's really doing coma research. Mm, like, there's not new information coming in. Not really. Um, like, they, they sort of, like, go on the Greek model, if ever. Mm-hmm. But most of them, sometimes they don't even do that. But during this entire time, the cures are, of course, era appropriate, which means bloodletting. Because strokes and other types of brain bleeding could be cured by regular bloodletting or leeches to avoid too much blood getting to the head or to balance the humors. And this was also meant to sort of treat people who were unconscious after periods of strokes, snake bites, fevers, like when they are in the unconscious state after one of these injuries. So technically sort of like an attempted cure at a coma. And apparently it may have had some limited success because it it could reduce uh, pressure on the brain Mm. (laughs) and pressure on the like brain surface is like one of the leading causes of, of like unconsciousness. So it, it, there are a lot of anecdotal like cases where it works, not long term, like the person will eventually die anyway, but like yeah. it helps apparently. Yeah. But I mean, so trepanations would, would, be, would also be complicated. Exactly, they, like, that's what they, I'm thinking. Hole. I feel like trepanation would, would work, but like if you're trying to do bloodletting for that, you would, you, I guess you'd need to like do it directly on the head. Like you need to make a little hole for the leech to like suck or like well the, directly if get they, the blood if they out. do a hole they're not gonna have a leech but sometimes no. they would they would drain blood with leeches to to avoid 
uh, hot blood. Or like in cases of fever, uh, then a leech would be used because then a le- a, the idea was that leeches would like take away hot blood and that would cool down. But I'm just, I mean, I'm not talking about hot blood. I'm talking about like the actual medical explanation for why that would have limited success. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I guess if you'd like decrease total blood volume, that could like reduce blood pressure in oh, the brain. I, yeah. But I mean, if you're trying to specifically like directly like, like drill a hole dr- or like, you know, like reduce pressure in the head. Yeah. I feel like you'd need to drill a hole. Yeah. but th- Which that, it comes with did. its own like set of issues. Yeah. But some people did, did do that as well mm-hmm. with anecdotal success. There have there have been cases, I will say, mm-hmm. uh, of people who have suffered a stroke, have fell, fell into like an unconscious state, which we would call a coma, have had a hole drilled in their head, and then they have recovered and mm. lived a full life. And I would I do not believe that this is common or like the standard. But result. do they like fix the hole after, or did the person just walk around with a hole in their head? I mean, they they would have a hole. Like the the, the cranium isn't going to heal, but the skin would eventually heal. Ah, right. They should like plug it up in some way. Put a little like cotton, cotton ball, you know. I don't know what they did, honestly. Like because mm. the, the evidence we have are from people who, like, we found heads with holes in them, but the 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 holes are like old and weathered, so you can tell that like the person has mm. been up and like walked around, and, like done shit after the hole. Done shit after the hole was drilled. <laughs> um, but I don't know. Like maybe they played it. Up. Do like, I can imagine fun? them like p- p- putting in some wax or something until do, the healing. Do you think? Do you know what would be funny? If they plugged it with, like, a wine cork. <laughs> so the person would just, like, walk around, like, plugged. No. Like a bottle. <laughs> and then just go, like... You know what? Like, in the in, in the thousand-year history... I'm like, sure somebody since the did Greeks, that. Someone probably did it. So, anyway, these are the cures that are available. And this is basically how we see strokes and stroke treatment up until the 17th and 18th century. But it was around this time uh, when a man called... Hermann Bohave, Dutch, uh, began lecturing around diseases of the mind, and specifically things relating to sleep, like what he would call sleep disorders. And Bohave uh, used the word coma, and although he didn't like bring it back originally, like he wasn't the guy who sort of resurrected the term, his lectures did help like repopularize it uh, within like European medical community. Co- yeah, within mm. the community. And he also lectured on a lot of similar diseases, such as lethargy, which was he, which he said was caused by fever, which in turn um, Hermann claimed was caused by cold, humid phlegm that moistens the brain, leading to putrefaction, slow fever, and lassitude, which means lack of energy. You get brain mold. Yeah, brain mold. The brain's wet and cold, so you need to. It's kind of putrefied. And he also talked about something called chorus, which is a uh, deep stupor in cataphora, which is a deep unconsciousness with a fever, but not something like a coma, which would be without a fever. Mm-hmm. By doing this, Bohave had shart- sharted. <laughs> sharted? Ah! <laughs> By doing this, Bohave has sharted. <laughs> has sharted out four <laughs> different types of comas. <laughs> Mia. By doing this, Bohave has charted out four different types of unconsciousness with different causes and symptoms. So, comas, caras, lethargy, and cataphora. And for these four kinds, he had prognosis for the various types and descriptions of their individual symptoms. Um, so he has like a, a like a chart of like, if you if you're in a coma, you have a pretty good outlook. But if you're in a in a uh, caras, like you're less likely to recover. That, that kind of stuff. 
but not a lot of descriptions about individual <clears throat> symptoms or signs, which what whichever one you're in. But like here, he's starting to sort of like look into various unconscious states and like recognizing that it's more to just being unconscious than just being unconscious. Mm-hmm. Like he's noticing that like some people, some people have a fever, some people don't, mm. some people like fall into a stupor and then kind of are unconscious and then they kind of are come back, but they're still in a stupor. What was the difference between stupor and coma? Cause I like stupor just means being uh, like, like, like unconscious, right? Or So he would use the word stupor to refer to someone who's like, like imagine someone who's like very drunk. Yeah. Um, so like someone who can still like move around and oh, so, so okay. like maybe like less like min- like more minimally conscious mm-hmm, in that mm-hmm. sense like they okay. can they can they can move maybe they can talk but they're slurred their movements are slowed things of that nature so I, like not not a full coma uh-huh. not a full chorus but like they're not conscious either something's going on but didn't you say that you're more likely to come out of a, so according to this guy you're more likely to come out of a coma than a chorus yes a chorus so, has fever. And okay, yeah, and slower, but the, yeah. in the coma, your brain rots. So, so that's that's better. That's preferable to that's preferable to to, to the fever. To the fever. Well, the fever, a fever back in these days are a lot. It's a lot more dangerous before mm. antibiotics and stuff like that. That's fair. Like, if you have a fever, it sucks. Like, still, but if your brain rots, like you're good. <laughs> if your brain rots, I mean, you're you know you're gonna have less brain, but you might be fine. <laughs> All right. But the, okay, the brain doesn't actually rot, though. This is just his theory. You don't actually have cold phlegm on your brain. Um, but over the following century, after his lectures, a bunch of doctors did similar examinations to figure out sleep disorders, and they came up with a bunch of new terms uh, and using other terms from ancient Greek, and they all failed to agree which should be grouped together and which should be distinct conditions. I also I love how ancient Greek medicine is like carrying... The medical community up until I know, like, the like 2000 18th years. century. Yeah, yeah. Like Hippocrates and Galen like, did so much work. And then for like 2000 years, Every, nothing yeah, happened. Yeah, everybody just wrote on that. <laughs> it was like the, the only innovation. No, that's not, that's not true. A lot of innovations did happen during the Middle Ages and stuff like that. But to be fair, a lot of like the terminology and language we use in sort of like organization around mm-hmm. med- medical academic care. Mm-hmm. Damn, I mean, at, at we're the very, still there. Yeah. At the very least, it was like highly based on Greek medicine, um, which I think is just interesting. And be- because like some people would use ancient Greek terminology and some people would come up with new terminology and like various communities throughout Europe, like couldn't, like they, they, none of them could agree with like what a sleep disorder is or how it works. Um, so at the peak, I counted 24 distinct different sleep conditions, which is like coma cars, lethargy, and a bunch of other ones that like no one can agree like so, like like is is chorus minor the same as like a coma ma- major syphilic or something like that? Do, do you know what I mean? Like they have mm-hmm. these specific, specific things, and but like, but like what's the difference agree. between them? Yeah, they're yeah. like very similar, but they're technically different. So yeah, it's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but however, so all of these twenty-four different, and there's probably more that I couldn't find. Um, the, all of these labels fell out of favor over time, and the one that we sort of like landed on in the 19th century was coma. Like I said, it was a wide umbrella term, basically covering all sorts of like sleep disorders, um, which is a little bit still of, of how we see it today, mm-hmm. even though it's still like... W- uh, most people just like when they, they think, think about a person unconscious, they yeah. think about comas, and, and it's, yeah. it's mostly like medical professionals that are able to like see the differences yeah. and even like now i was reading i was reading about it right yeah and like i mean to fair to be fair i'm not a medical professional but i do have 
a little bit of background yeah and it's still like he, like to me it seems like very subtle differences yeah um and like, so yeah. e even within like some modern communities like the coma will be the sort of like catch-all term mm -hmm. and then all other like unconscious states will be sort of grouped in as like subcategories like either big subcategories like uh, minimally conscious states or uh like smaller subcategories uh yeah, because like when I did research for this, like and just just searching for like Google, uh, just searching for like coma information, like the amount of times I would find information on brain death would be a like a lot because a lot of people still still group the concept of brain death under coma, even though they're not connected at all. Like they're very different medical conditions, but they just look they just look the same mm -hmm. uh, to like untrained observers, <laughs> uh, such as myself. <laughs> but because coma became the overall umbrella term. Uh, in the 19th century, people would then use the word coma and then like affix other names to that label to sort of specify what kind of we're talking about. So you'd end up with things like um, coma uh, stertoro, which I don't know what it is, or like subcoma chorus, if you want to like have a coma that has like elements of fever and a bit more stupor, for example, than the real subcoma chorus. And around the same time, doctors also began to conduct long-term observations of patients. Before this, most healthcare was done bedside. Like a doctor would come to check on the immediate symptoms, giving us some treatment, and then like he bounces. He takes the money and he bounces. Or she bounces. Or she, well, nineteenth century, he bounces. No, we we had some some female physicians in the nineteenth century. Sure. Or was it more? No, it was more. It was earlier, right? Because then they started introducing those like yeah. specific yeah. Okay, yeah. Fair. I, I feel like if, if we're talking like seventh, sixteenth century, seventeenth century, they bounce. He bounced. In 19th century, he bounced. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like in the in like the 12th century, he or she bounced. Yeah. Yeah. Now now it's now it's he bounced. This does he bounces. Yeah. <laughs> um, but now, like during this time in the 19th century, uh, or like and also the late 18th century, hospitals are becoming more of an established institution, and doctors are more. Are, they're around patients a lot more in the long term. Like a patient would be brought there and stay there for a longer period mm. of time, which means that doctors would observe patients more often. And this led people to observe sleep disorders because normally, like, if you're in a coma, they would just take you home and you'd just be at home. And, like, no one would watch you. And, like, no mm. one educated would sort of, like, make notes of you. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I guess, like, they would come to your house and, like, look at you occasionally. But yeah. if... if so many like if coma patients are all in the hospital then the doctor can like see them every day yeah and, and like, like really see the monitor differences between them between and like them, yeah. note taking and like archiving is becoming more advanced as well so like you can see people will like compare notes more intensely what is a hospital if not a patient archive <laughs> <laughs> i mean kind of it's like a like a live a live live stream of <laughs> a live dynamic archive of conditions yeah i mean kind of kind of um, but this eventually leads us to uh, 1812. Uh, war is going on in North America, but we don't care about that. Uh, <laughs> and doctor, whatever, whatever happens with that. I just want to mention the War of 1812 because I'm funny like that. Um, in 1812, Doctor John Chain observed the pupils of comatose patients in care homes and could deduce a lot about the patient's conditions based on pupils specifically. Uh, when patients were comatose, their pupils would be quite small apparently. But when death approaches, the pupils would uh, dilate. Interesting. 
In 1888, a Dr. Gowers mentions being able to touch the eyeball without a blink response in some types of comatose patients, indicating that reflexes were gone. And in 1895, a Dr. Dana mentioned that comatose patients would have a slow heartbeat, but that the pulse would still be hard and full. So they're, they're noticing a lot of like differences from like sleeping people and also from like conscious people. Um, and they're sort of taking notes about mm. all of these people. Mm. Finally, they're doing some work themselves instead of just relying on Greek medicine. <laughs> I know, right? They're actually trying to do their own science. Mm -hmm. uh, in 1900, uh, Dr. Ernst von Leyden, uh, who apparently also treated Tsar Alexander III and German Emperor Frederick III, uh, so like big, big, big shot name. doctor, mm -hmm. like this is like the, the doctor of the rich and famous. He began experimenting in order to like figure out more things about comas because during this time, like because they noticed some symptoms around comas, um, doctors want to start experimenting. You can't experiment on people. Uh, so what Dr. Leyden does is he starts increasing the cerebrospinal fluid pressure in dogs uh, by upwards of 900 millihg, which is apparently millimeter of mercury, uh, a, a non-standard unit of pressure, which I don't know how much that is. Like that could be a tiny pressure, amount of pressure. It could be a, a lot amount of pressure, but 900 mmhg. I have no idea. Let, let me see. <laughs> okay, so apparently I'm looking this up live. Normally it's 7 to 15 millimeters mercury <laughs> for an adult. I think supine means like they're laying down, so they're increasing it by 900. Right, that doesn't that doesn't seem right. Yeah, 15 to 20, so 15 to 20 or 5 to 10. So I don't know if this is right, but this seems like a lot. Like that if they're increasing it like by, lot, by yeah. 900 and the normal one so is like going to blow up the head. Yeah, how does this not blow up the head of the dog? That's a good point. That's what I found. I kept finding it repeated. Yeah, for so sure. I mean, I maybe like, like a lot of people have repeated the, the wrong information, but that's what I found. So I don't or know. Maybe, maybe the intracranial pressure in dogs is just huge. <laughs> You put some coal in a dog's head, it turns to diamond. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? That's why their heads are so small. It's high pressure. <laughs> it's like it's like imploding in itself all the time. Yeah. <laughs> dogs are run by fusion power. <laughs> their brains are tiny suns. Yeah. You you pick you try to pick up a dog. It's like it's heavy. It's like, so dense. It's so fucking. But the brains are so small, so they so it, like it weighs, even cancels though, out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a weird. Anyway, like I don't know. Like I don't know if this is true, but anyway, he increases the the pressure in the heads of dogs. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and apparently, this works really well to put them in comas. Uh, like, the dogs would be anesthetized and with morphine while this was happening. Uh, but by, by increasing the, the cerebral spinal fluid pressure in the brain, it, it's like a surefire way to put a dog in a coma. <laughs> if you want to put a dog in a coma, increase their cerebral spinal fluid by, it, like, almost exploding the brain. Wait, with so, okay, how, did, how does he actually do this? How did he actually increase the fluid pressure? Did he, like, drill a hole and then add fluid i don't know i didn't see that all i could find was that he did that he like no you know he does he does like a he okay he drills a hole and then he connects like a bike pump to it and just like <laughs> <stirs>. <laughs> yeah that's why it was 900 because like 
the, the, the he starts meter pumping. just like went up. He yeah. just goes hog wild. He goes hog wild on the bike pump. But anyway, I will say that the dogs were fine. Mm-hmm. I will say this. For those of you like panicking currently, uh, the dogs were fine. Well, somewhat. Uh, <laughs> uh, but from his experiments, from putting dogs to sleep, we, we learned that both first the pre- brain pressure, like pressure on the brain surface, it, it can easily cause comas. Uh, but also that heart rate follows a very predictable pattern going into a coma uh, and also getting out of a coma. And that comas, depending on the injury, can result in perfectly healthy recoveries. Because uh, the dogs would eventually, like when the brain pressure was like lowered and they felt better, <laughs> to, like, to, to say the least, they would, uh, like most of them would wake up like pretty quickly mm. and be like, come to a full recovery. Like they mm-hmm. still like as smart as sort of like attentive mm-hmm. they still eat as much like the, their health wouldn't they would f- have full recoveries i wish that they measured how healthy a person is by measuring how much they eat and if they <laughs> eat the same normal amount like yeah. i wish that i wish that was the not if i like can do math or play the piano but just like do do they eat the same amount do you eat the same amount do you eat the same kind are you happy <laughs> good <laughs> you're in a bowl see if how much they eat um, but obviously this is very specific to what kind of coma that you're in. Cause like, this is like a very medically controlled scenario coma. Yep. Uh, yeah. but like if your brain suffers like damage, that's exactly. damage might, is, might not be recoverable. Yeah. But that's like, not really the fault of the coma. Mm-hmm. That's more the fault of like the injury that caused mm-hmm. the coma. But it's, it's thanks to all of these experiments and to these individual people who sort of like started looking at coma patients to figure out what the deal is that we came to like where we are right now. Mm-hmm. And there are, some, there are some steps that I'm like skipping over a little bit because there's a lot that we have learned. But a lot of it is sort of also like very, very detail oriented being like, like this kind of coma has a more regular heartbeat than the other one. Mm-hmm. Just like mm, mm-hmm. quite interesting. But it's not good for podcast work. Mm, quite interesting. <laughs> interesting. Um, but also, there's so much we still don't know about comas, like, to, to this day. For sure. So, like, even historically, like, up to 1900, like, like, eh. like brain science still has, we still have so much to learn about the brain. Hi, everyone. If you're listening to this part, that means uh, that you've reached the end of part one of this episode. And we're we're dividing it into two parts, because this episode took a really long time to make and it's almost two hours long and we feel like that's too much for one episode um but the next one should be up fairly soon so if you want to listen to that you 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 can um and the full episode should also be up on our patreon so if you want to listen there you can do that too um but just for your listening convenience we've divided this up into two parts so uh if you want to keep keep listening watch out for part two